So we're, we're coming to the, uh, to the end of our series in the book of Jonah. So if you haven't been with us um, for all of them or you've, you haven't been with us for any of them, this is your first time, um, here's very briefly what we've seen. So the, the series has been called Running from Mercy because in every chapter of Jonah, we, we see either Jonah or others running from mercy and yet we see God extending his mercy to them. So in, in chapter one, uh, God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, and Jonah runs. He runs away. We assume it's because he's scared. We'll see, actually, that's not the case. But he, he runs away. He's running from the mercy that God wants to extend to Nineveh. And God, God ordains a fish to swallow him and to kind of keep him there so that God can kind of have a word with him. And Jonah in chapter 2 recognizes this, and he prays to God. He thanks him for his mercy, and he says, salvation belongs to you. We, we, we think that Jonah has, has realized his mistake and has come back to the mercy of God. And then in, in chapter 3, we see that Jonah goes to Nineveh this time, and we see a bunch of people who are running from the mercy of God, who, are, who do not live under the authority of God. And yet again, we see God extending his mercy to the Ninevites. And we see this incredible response, just incredible response from them. Everyone repents up to the highest authority in, the, in Nineveh. The king says that all should repent. And we see that God's plan comes about. So it's not the point of the sermon today, but just as a side point, we see that no matter what Jonah did, well, in the end, God got his way. But if you come back to the, to the series, but running from mercy, that, that's what we've seen so far. And we, we're finishing up today. I wonder if um, on, on your, your commute to work, or let, let, I'll, I'll take mine. Um, I, I live in St. Field now, which is really far away. And on my commute to work, I come out of this little road and I have to get onto this main road. And this main road is really, really, really busy at half seven in the morning, and it's very difficult to get onto it. But without fail, there's one person on one side and one person coming the other way who um, show mercy to me. They, they let me through, they let me onto the road, and I finally get through because otherwise I'm gonna be late for work. They, I'm kind of at their mercy, and they let me through. It's very, very, very good of them. Um, however, as I drive along to work, um, there are many other roads like that. Now, I'm on the main road now, but there are many, many other roads, many little roads um, where cars are in the same predicament as I am. They need to get to work. They will be late unless someone gives the way. Now, I can say it has never crossed my mind, ever, to let them through. It just doesn't even come into the realm of possibility for me that I should stop for these people because I'm going to be late for work and really it doesn't matter if they're late for work because I'm going to be late and I get there on time. Who knows what happened to them? Doesn't really matter. And it's a really kind of, it's, it's, it's a silly example of what we see happening here. This is exactly what we see happening here. Now, not with commutes and roads and stuff like that, but we see Jonah who has been shown such mercy from God, such kindness from God, and yet we see his response when God shows that mercy to others. 
And we kind of see sort of three episodes in this section. Um, and we're, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just break it up into those three sections for, no, for tonight. But the first one is verses 1 to 4, his initial response. So if, if we look at verse 1, it says, um, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, at the end of chapter 3, what had happened is that the entire city of Nineveh had repented. Now, you would think that this would be the greatest thing that could happen to someone preaching. Someone actually listened to what they said. Someone actually took it seriously, and people actually repented. If, if, if you look through the rest of the prophets in the Bible, the, the opposite happens to them. They really, really want these people to turn, and yet they never do. See, th- this response would have thrilled a prophet like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who is preaching to stubborn, stubborn people who actually just end up going into exile because they will not listen to him. This response would have thrilled him. And, and, and we, we would love it. I'd, I'd love to think that we would love this response, you know, that we would preach the gospel in our, in our small church on the Ulmer Road and Stormont would repent. Everyone in Stormont would say, right, the city of Belfast, we, we have realized the error of our ways, we need to repent. And yet we see Jonah's response. He hates it. To him, it is it displeases him exceedingly, and he's angry. Now, if you actually go back to what's actually written there in the original language, um, Jonah believes that this is evil. He sees this as evil. And his response only gets weirder as we look at verse 2. See, verse 2 is probably the weirdest verse in, in the past, in the book for me, because Jonah says, that's exactly why I ran from you, because you are um, what is you, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Surely these, these are good things. It, it, it kind of, um, I checked with Susie that I could use the, this example, but it, it, it's kind of as if, um, so Susie is my fiance, we, we're getting married soon, and it's as if I sat Susie down one evening and said, listen dear, um, I don't think we should get married. And Susie, through her tears, of course, um, says, well, Noah, why not? And my response is, well, Susie, I don't think we should get married because you are a lovely, beautiful, wonderful, kind, patient person. She doesn't make sense. So why is it that Jonah is saying, that's why I ran from you. You are a loving God. And actually, it's here that the entire book is explained. See, As I was saying in chapter one, you assume that he runs because he's scared. And yet this verse shows the, it it shows that that's not not at all the case. He's not scared. He's actually quite a brave guy. In chapter one, he offers himself to be thrown into the ocean. It's not what you do if you're scared. He's not a scared guy at all. But what's happening is that Jonah hates that God showed the same love to others that he did to him. You see, he's naming all these things about God that we, some of them we've probably just sung in, in, our, in our worship. But for Jonah, these are bad things. For Jonah, it's bad that God is gracious and merciful and loving and relenting from disaster. Not, not if it happens to him. He's very pleased that those things happen to him in chapter 2, where he's in the belly of the fish. He's very um, pleased with the mercy of God. 
but he hates it when it's shown to people who are not like him. He hates it when it's shown to people who are not Israelites, who are not seen as, as the people of God. In fact, they were, they were if you kind of think, they, they were kind of the opposite. They were Assyrians, and we don't have the time to go into the relationship between the Assyrians and the Israelites, but it's, to say the least, it's tense. And that's putting it very kindly. If you, if you read through the Old Testament, it's much more than tense. Now, Jonah was a prophet anointed by God. Jonah had a mission to fulfill by God. He had God's message. So what is it that went wrong? He had the message from God. He, he was sent by God. And yet the problem with Jonah wasn't anything, wasn't the message, wasn't anything like that. The problem was Jonah's heart. His heart didn't truly want the message of God to be true. In fact, I think if we read it properly, his heart was not actually broken by the coming judgment on Nineveh. It was actually quite joyful about the coming judgment. See, the message that he was proclaiming to the Ninevites was, yet 40 days and this city will be destroyed. And if you look at the other prophets in the Bible, if they preach that type of message, which they do, and they preach that God's judgment is coming, their hearts are broken for it. And yet we see here that Jonah's heart was not broken. Now, he ran because he knew that God wasn't going to actually do it. But his heart was not broken by the coming judgment on the Ninevites. He was quite happy. He's quite pleased that, Jonah, that God might destroy them. If, if, we, if we go on, his, his response just keeps getting stranger and stranger. After that, he says, Therefore now, Lord, oh, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, it, it's, getting, it's getting more and more intense. Now what he's saying is that I would rather die than to have to look at this. I would rather die than to have to look at these people rejoice and worship the same God that I worship. I would rather die than to see these people enjoy the same mercy, the same love, the same kindness that you've shown me. I understand why you showed me that kindness. I just don't want to see you show that to anyone else. If, if we take a New Testament example, the, the obvious example is the story of the prodigal son. See, what happens is that the younger brother tells the dad, give me my inheritance, effectively saying, I don't care whether you live or die, I want your money. He takes the money, goes off, squanders it away, and realizes that he's made a terrible mistake and comes back. And while he's still far off, his father sees him and runs to him, clothes him with his best robe, he puts a ring on his finger showing that he is back in the family, and they throw a big party, they invite the whole town, and there's one missing. That the older brother's missing. He's outside. And the reason he's outside is that he hates the fact that his father has shown the same kindness to his younger brother as he did to him. In fact, it's even more. He hates the fact that his father's celebrating his younger brother coming back because the older brother understood why he deserved all, that thing, all those things, but he didn't understand why his younger brother should have any of it. And you see, Jonah didn't get it. Jonah didn't get 
that God had shown mercy to him. Jonah thought, really, he deserves that. Of course God would show mercy to me. I'm an Israelite, I'm a prophet. Of course he would show mercy to me and to my people. I just don't think that he should be showing mercy to them. You see, he wants to choose who God shows mercy to. He wants to choose the people that he likes, the people that are like him, um, his own nation, his pe- the people that resemble him, that he gets along with. Those are the people that he wants God to show mercy to, but never to these people who are different. And you see, after this, um, verse 4, we see God's response. Now, if I was God, I would have destroyed him, Jonah, right then and there. I thought, well, really, Jonah, you're being ridiculous. Um, I, I will destroy you. That'll fix, that'll fix our problem. You see, I, I would have thought God's response would have been, you know, are, are you serious? You, you ran away from me, and it took a big fish to swallow you for me to get you back. Big fish that are willing to swallow men are hard to find. I had to go a long way to find one that was willing. I found one. That's what it took to get you back and you're complaining. And yet, God doesn't do that. All he does is he simply asks a question. He says, are you you right to be angry? You see, God shows such patience and such kindness in the face of Jonah's hard, unrepentant, racist heart. And so what's going on here? What's going on is that the Israelites are God's people, not anyone else, especially not the Assyrians. And what's going on here is that their salvation, the fact that God has shown mercy to them, is a sign that God is no longer just for Israel. He's no longer just for the people who are like Jonah. Now, what does this look like for us then? How could we possibly apply this to us? Surely, hopefully, there isn't a people group um, that we think of and we think, oh, I really hate them. Hopefully, we don't look at a certain nation and say, I would really rather God judge them and destroy them. Now, hopefully, there's no one in this room that's like that. And yet, I think we can apply this passage very, very easily to ourselves if we apply it right. You see, for me, when I was in Bible college, I had lots of conversations with people who disagreed with me. Um, And that was fine. There were certain points we disagreed on and whatever, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, but you know, it's not a big, big deal. And yet there were others who disagreed on certain points that really kind of treaded the line of being a Christian and not. Had certain views, I thought, that is just completely against what the Bible teaches. And yet I realized in my conversations with them, I wasn't trying to win them back to the faith. I wasn't trying, I wasn't hoping that they would actually repent and turn back to God. Really, I didn't care about that. If I really think about it, and it's, it's not a comfortable thing to think about, but really I would have been quite happy if God had judged them right then and there. You see, if we really think about it, we all have certain people or certain groups of people that either we don't really care if they come to faith or not, or we, we would really be happy if they didn't. I imagine um, in, in Northern Ireland this could be a temptation with the divide that we see here. 
Would a church that is predominantly Protestant be particularly thrilled if a person from a Catholic background came in and came to faith and started worshiping with us? Maybe there's certain people in your family who you have fallen out with and you, you find very, very difficult to get on with. And if you saw them join the church and start worshiping the same God that you do, it would, be very, it would take a lot of willpower to actually even look at that. Maybe it's people at work. Maybe it's people that you see on the street every day. You see, I think that we all have certain people or certain groups that really we would much rather see in judgment than in mercy. And what's going on is that we don't realize what we've been saved from. We, to us, that means that we deserve God's mercy, and yet these people do not. You see, with our actions, what we're saying is it makes no difference to me whether you're saved or not. In fact, for certain people, I'd be quite happy if you weren't. Now, we wouldn't ever say that out loud. We might not ever sort of think it consciously, but that's what our actions are saying. Where it never crosses our mind to share the gospel with certain people or where we actively avoid it, our actions are saying that. It makes no difference to me whether you're saved or not. In fact, I think I'd be quite happy if you weren't. And that's what's going on here. And that's what we need to pray a lot for, that the Holy Spirit would melt our hearts for the gospel, that our hearts would genuinely be changed by the gospel, that we'd realize the mercy that God has shown us, and that we would rejoice and desire the salvation of others, even those who aren't like us, even those who would be quite happy if God didn't show them mercy. If we go on, um, it gets uh, a bit, it gets stranger because Jonah decides, he doesn't actually ever respond to God. He, he just goes up to a mountain and decides to wait to see what happens. And um, what, what's happening here is that he kind of figured that their repentance would be quite short-lived. He thought, surely this won't last. So he just kind of sat on the mountain and waited for God to um, smite them. And again, you would think that God's response would be to smite Jonah. But God's response is to provide him with shelter. Again, we see God's response, God's mercy, again, towards Jonah. Instead of destroying him because of his heart that is so, so warped, he provides shelter. Now, part of me thinks that maybe God is just getting him comfortable so that he can watch because he's going to be sitting there a long time waiting for God to destroy Nineveh because it ain't happening. But I think that God is just showing gentleness and mercy to Jonah. But what's actually happening as well is that God is trying to reveal Jonah's heart. Because Jonah's response when he sees the plant and it protects him, is he, is, his response is to be exceedingly joyful. He's exceedingly joyful about this. And then if you think about what he was exceedingly angry about, you realize he is exceedingly joyful about his own comfort, and yet does not care one little bit about these people in Nineveh. He values his comfort 
so much above the salvation of others. And so what we see happening is that God really had other plans when he ordained this plant to grow up over Jonah. It wasn't simply to provide him with comfort. It was to reveal his heart. See, what's happening is that God is showing mercy to Jonah, but he's not showing him mercy by giving him comfort. He's showing him mercy by disciplining him. He's teaching Jonah a lot, and he's getting him to a place to recognize his mercy. He takes away what makes Jonah really, really joyful to reveal what's going on in his heart. And we might think either, oh, God is right to do that. God is right to judge him. And yet he's not. He is disciplining him. You know, we we see time and time again in Scripture that God's discipline is for those that he loves. He's showing love to Jonah. He's showing kindness by disciplining him and by showing him his heart. And it's truly revealed here when, again, Jonah, um, after God has taken away the plant and um, set the sun to beat down on him, again we see Jonah wanting to die. And this, be- and this time it's because of his comfort that's been taken away. And again, God shows mercy by asking him a question. He says, are, are you right to be angry about this? And again, Jonah reveals his own heart once more. He would rather die for his own comfort than for his enemies. You see, Jonah's joy and Jonah's frustration and Jonah's anger is all about himself. He's angry when God shows, he's joyful when God shows mercy to him, but very angry when he shows it to others. He's joyful when God provides comfort for him but exceedingly angry when God takes it away. He was overjoyed at this momentary comfort and yet furious at the eternal salvation of Nineveh. And really, it's sickeningly challenging for us to think about. Because I think if we really searched our hearts, we would much rather die for our own comfort maybe not literally, but we spend so much time, so much effort, so much money on our own comfort instead of focusing on the fact that there are many out there, people like us and people not like us, people that we like and people that we don't like, whose eternal salvation is at stake. We spend so much of our effort on comfort And God is really getting at our hearts here, and it's scary what is found. You see, because then he goes on to show the reason for the plant in verses 10 and 11. God says, um, so he's asked him, are you right to be angry? And then he says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, with 120,000 people, and then the weirdest ending to a book in the Bible, and also many animals, much cattle. You see, God is showing that Jonah values this momentary comfort that can be taken away so quickly. It only took a worm to destroy it. And yet he he does not value God's work 
in Nineveh at all. In fact, he hates it. And God shows that he had great work going on in Nineveh. He created this people, these people, and his heart was broken for them. He wanted them to turn from their ways and turn to him. So God heart, God's heart breaks for that, and yet Jonah's heart breaks for short-lived comfort. See, God has shown that his mercy is available for all, and he desires to show mercy to all because he has created them. And even more, we see that part of the reason that he has mercy on Nineveh is they do not know their right hand from their left. God wants to show mercy to those who don't know any better. The Ninevites didn't know what was right, what was wrong. In a sense they did, but they had not been told, they had not been shown the law of God. And Jonah did, and yet he rebelled against it. See, God wants to show mercy to all that he has created. God wants to show mercy to everyone. God desires to show mercy even if we do not. And the way that we see this displayed perfectly is on the cross. Christ displays this so perfectly. He gave up his comfort and he was the one who had the right to comfort. He gave up um, his, he, he, he gave up the right to hate his enemy, the only one who had the right to hate his enemy. And he actually died for his enemies. And who are those enemies? Well, they used to be you and me. We used to be enemies of God, and yet God sent his only son to come down, give up his comfort, and to die for his enemies. And so just as we come to finish, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. Do our hearts break more for our comfort, or do they break for conformity to God's heart that loves the salvation of his enemies? See, who, who are the people or the groups of people that really would be quite happy that if God judged them? And what we need to realize if our, is if our hearts were truly transformed by the gospel, we would never tire of showing mercy to everyone even those that we don't like, even those who are uncomfortable to talk to, even those who are different from us. See, our comfort and worldly things can be taken away in an instant, just like God showed right there. And yet God calls us to eternal, uncomfortable, costly work that actually matters. And if our hearts were truly transformed by the gospel, we would desire and delight in the salvation of everyone, even our enemies, because we were once enemies of God and he came down for us.
And so, like the story of the prodigal son, if you read it, the end is open. We never know what happens to the older brother, and we don't know what happens to Jonah. We never hear of him again. And I think what God is doing is He is challenging us here. Will we bury our hearts in entitlement, in anger, or join in the celebration because we know that we are recipients of God's grace? So, will we run from the mercy of God, or will we run to it? And maybe if, if, if you're an unbeliever, if you look at this story, you can't help but see the kindness and mercy of God offered to you. You were created by Him and for Him and called to eternal significance. Christ gave His life up to pay the price for us, to pay the price we never could for our sins. And we can now be called children of God. Will you run from the mercy of God or will you run to it? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the, um, what we've seen through the book of Jonah. We thank you for your mercy that is constantly shown even though we run away from it. We pray that um, when we think of the people or the groups of people that really we would not mind if you didn't show mercy to them. We pray that you would change our hearts and pray that you would um, make us realize that we don't deserve mercy, and yet you have shown us such mercy. And pray that you would break our hearts for the gospel, that you would change our hearts by the message of the gospel that is available to all. We thank you that you made it available to all on the cross. And we pray that we would desire and delight in the salvation of anyone who comes to you, even if these people are not the people that we would choose or people that we particularly like. Lord, we pray that you would um, remove, those, um, remove those things from our hearts and that our heart would be more and more aligned with yours that desires and delights in the salvation of anyone who comes to you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.